The following audio is recorded by Judson University's Chapel Ministry, located in Elgin, Illinois. Judson University shapes lives that shape the world. For more information about Judson University, visit judsonu.edu. Awesome. Good morning, guys. How's everyone doing up in the balcony? You guys doing great? Sounds enthusiastic. Good to be with you guys. I, uh, I'm excited to be back. I feel like it's home. <laughs> I, I really do. I don't feel like I'm a special speaker anymore when I come to Judson, which is good and bad. It's, uh, it's good. <laughs> I'm on the board now, you know, so, so like I'm vested into this institution. I went to my first board meeting. Uh, I was strategic. I chose the Naples, Florida one. Pretty awesome. <laughs> Some of you guys can grow up and sit on the board and it was fun. Two of your students went. We heard their stories and some of you guys who are like, how do we do that? How do we get down to Naples? You could do that too. So, uh, but the bad thing is you're stuck. You're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. So like if I blow it, I still have to see you guys, which is sort of bad. <laughs> but, but listen, the good news about the gospel, and if some of you are here and you don't know what the gospel is, that is why we're here this morning. We're here because uh, we believe something about God. We believe that God created us, that God loves us, that God has a plan for our life. We don't just say these words, we really believe it. And, uh, and in the gospel, and if you believe that, then there's no better place than here, than being here right now. And there's no fear of blowing it. You could have a bad day, you could have a bad exam, you could have a bad class, a bad semester, a bad year, but God is in control, isn't he? And if you're here this morning and you're thinking about your, you know, test coming up or, or a project that you're behind on or maybe a relational disaster that you're walking through or maybe uh, sports that, you know, you're trying out for, whatever it is that you're carrying this morning, um, this is a good place to be because God has a plan for your life even in those difficulties. And if there's ever been a psalm that encapsulates that, it is Psalms 23, which is where we're going to be today. We've already spent some time thinking about it. I'm going to read it in a minute. But um, I'm pretty excited about Psalm 23. Uh, I got to be honest with you right off the bat. It, was, it is not my favorite psalm. It has not been my favorite psalm, which is probably the opposite of many people. Many of you, if you don't know the Bible a lot, you know Psalm 23. It's the most famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Who hasn't heard these words? In fact, I don't know if you believe everything you read on Google. I tend to be a fan. I look up stuff like uh, how to do certain medical procedures when I forget. <laughs> what is that medication you're on? Give me a second, Google. The bad thing about, about my phone is if you put any sort of restrictions on the phone, which I have, I need them. I don't know about you guys, but I do need them. I'm single and I need restrictions and the password my sister knows. So problem is sometimes I get patients who have a medication that is of that nature. And so I'll go to look it up and I'll be like, I can't look it up. There's a block on my phone. And so I have to really think hard of how to act like I know what I'm talking about. But anyway, many of you know I practice medicine in addition to teaching the Bible. And so uh, the two things, you know, work out. When I don't know what to say, I'll be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And, and we get through it. But anyway, if you read Google, there is an article that came out not long ago, maybe about a year ago, talking about the habits of reading the Bible. And they suggested that half of the American population has read the Bible at least once in the last year. I'm cynical. I don't think that's true. But for all intents and purposes, that's what that article said. And they said out of, out of all of those people who, that's a lot of people reading the Bible at least once last year. Out of all those people, half spent time in Psalm 23. And that's pretty amazing when you think of it. And so that's where our thoughts are going to be today. And... Uh, I, uh, I love this psalm. About two or three years ago, I noticed I started waking up in the middle of the night. 
my hours were crazy at the time. I was working in the ER. I'd come home at one or two in the morning. And so I just, and then I'd do days and then evenings. And it was sort of messed up for a minute. And I noticed a pattern where I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And I, I typically can sleep like a baby. And I thought, and, and I don't know if you guys ever think like that, but I thought maybe God is waking me up. You know, I mean, God's trying to say something to me. And you always hear these like people who teach the Bible. They're like, I woke up in the middle of the night and God said, and I was like, okay, Lord, this is your chance. Speak. I'm here. And of course, it doesn't happen like that, does it? You're going, what? I can't hear it. Maybe try a little louder. All I hear like is the rat outside of my house. And, 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 and in that season, I'm telling you guys, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm waking up in the middle of the night. This is not me. I'm 45. I'll be 46 this spring. I know that's a shock to many of you. I look so young and energetic. <laughs> I feel like I do my own little worship dance here up front. <laughs> They're like, do you want a podium? I'm like, no, I just want to walk around and do a little worship dance. And, I, and, I, and you know what started happening in that season? I would wake up in the middle of the night and I, I, I wanted to connect with the Lord. I, I don't know if any of you here are hearing this and you want to connect with the Lord. And you hear these stories of people who hear God speak to them and you're like, now what doesn't happen to me? And, 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 and that, I'm telling you, that can be very frustrating. I, I teach the Bible, I write about God. I have spent my life, I actually don't, I practice medicine now very uh, radically. I do telemedicine, I've left the ER, I go as needed. So I'm not there regularly as of last September like I used to be because I love this word and I love the Lord. So it can be very aggravating if you've given your life to the Lord and you hear people talking about how God speaks to them and you're going, man, why doesn't he just send me a message? And I'm telling you, he does. He just does it through his word. And I remember in that season asking God, like God, if you're saying something, if you're waking me up, if you have something to say to me, say it already. And, and I started, I, I noticed something happened in that season. Every night I would wake up about two or three in the morning and it didn't matter if I had slept two or three hours or 30 minutes, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd have one verse on my heart and my mind and it would be this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and I got to confess to you, at first I sort of was annoyed. I was because like, you know, Come on, Psalm 23, one, like, seriously? Like, it was like, I made it up. Like, I felt like, God, could you give me like a little bit like an Ezekiel 35 something? So I knew it was from you because who doesn't think of Psalm 23, one? Like, it's like, you know, like, like grade one, you know, kindergarten level Christianity. My four-year-old nephew can quote Psalm 23, verse one. I felt like I was making it up. Like, it wasn't really the Lord, it was me. And then you're like going, is that you, Lord? Are you speaking? Is it me? Am I trying hard to connect with you? And, but you know what started happening? I noticed a month went by, two months went by, and I couldn't stop waking up in the middle at night and, and, and it was like just that verse filled my heart and my mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And after a month or two or three of hearing that, I, I started, my attitude changed about it. I started waking up and thinking, man, maybe this is the Lord. It's his word after all. And I started thinking through what that is and, and then thinking through the things that were waking me up and be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not want anything else. And, and it started taking a life of its own so that when Chris Lash asked, hey, we're doing a series on Psalms. What Psalm do you want? Right away, I was like, Psalm 23, sign me up because I believe that that Psalm is a Psalm about being completely and utterly and, and radically satisfied in the Lord. See, we're in 2018. Most of us, the closest we've been to a sheep is the Instagram picture that you posted last year, right? I went to Lebanon on a mission trip last year and I go every three months and do work with Syrian refugees. Now we do medical clinics and it is awesome. And one time we were doing clinics out in the tent community and it was about five o'clock in the afternoon, May of 2017. You can go on my Instagram and scroll all the way down to May and you'll see a picture of a shepherd with a sheep. And, and, and so it's easy to miss the intricacies of what David, the writer of Psalm 23, 
intended to pass on in that passage. And of course, there's many books that have been written on it. The most famous one is Philip Keller's book on Psalm 23 and a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. For me, it was a picture photo op. Like I was like, dude, you got to stop, stop your sheep. I'm taking a picture. And the guy didn't listen. He kept walking and But to this day, you can go back and look at the picture and see something that is dramatic to our eyes. You see a bunch of sheep that look alike. Can you tell a sheep from a sheep? Hardly. But there's a man in front of them leading the pack, and his name is the shepherd. And uh, it is no accident that Jesus called himself the good shepherd because this book, this chapter is about Jesus. And so we're talking about being satisfied. And I want to ask you as we we get into the text here, What is it that you're looking for to satisfy you this morning? What is it that you think will fill your deepest longings? You ever find yourself hungry? It happens to me every day, actually every few hours. And and, and isn't it the truth? Even you guys up there, you know that feeling where you're so hungry and you just can't tell what you want. And so you open the fridge and you sort of think, I think I, I think I want to piece of cheese, and then you eat it, and you're like, no, that didn't satisfy me. I think I, think I want a, an ice cream bar. So you, you, you go for the ice cream bar, and you ever have those days, and you're just like, I can't just, t- I can't tell what I want. And then you're like, no, no, I think it's Thai food that I want. So you order something, and, and by the end of the night, you're so sick, you can't even, you want to vomit. I mean, this has happened to me, truth be told. I, some of you are like, this morning, I just went through this. And, and listen, you're so sick, but you're still not satisfied. And I believe the tragedy of our day is that many of us are living that way. But, but, but the real tragedy, if I may present to you this morning, is that Christians, people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, are living that way. We're exhausted and full and disgusted with ourselves, trying to fill our deepest longings with anything and everything, but we are not satisfied. And I believe that one of the greatest tragedies that has happened to the millennial and the Z generation is that you're watching Christians my age and older, and not all, but many who are striving after the wind. And they're trying to fill their hopes, you name it, with more money. And they're followers of Jesus, and they're acting as if if they just could get enough in their retirement, they'd be satisfied. They've forgotten the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You're watching pastors and leaders, you're watching men and women in the church who are years ahead of you and they're losing it all for a 10 second, three second, maybe two second orgasm thinking that if they could just, I did, I just said that word, that if they could just get that one feeling so they have lost their churches, their ministries, their families because they thought that that thing would make them so satisfied so that they are forgetful of anything and everything that they've ever said they believed for that one second experience that's gone. You're watching men and women in the church who act as if if they could just get enough books sold or people to show up to their sermons or likes on their pictures that they would finally have their needs met when the formula is so much more simple than that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I remember the day after my medical school graduation. I remember it very clearly. I want to be honest with you. I do not remember medical school graduation as much. I remember it vaguely. But for 24 years, I graduated from med school at 24. I was a couple years ahead in my schooling because I grew up in Lebanon. And I remember all my life wanting to be a doctor. My dad was a doctor and 
I wanted to serve Jesus, but I wanted to be a doctor. And, and especially once I decided I'm going to be a doctor, my whole life became about being a doctor. If any of you are pre-med or many of you who are architectural students, when you know you have to go to grad school, it was like, you're so focused on that, you can lose sight of everything else. I just thought if I could just finish, become a doctor, I'd be happy and satisfied. And so for four years of undergrad, I studied. And I would sit in chapel. We had mandatory chapel where I went to school. And, and sometimes I wouldn't be listening to the guys. I, I really don't remember many sermons, but I, sometimes I'd be reviewing some of you are doing that right now for the test that's coming up. Sometimes I'd just be like, this is my 30-minute mental break because everything was so intense the whole time. And, and I remember taking the MCAT and carrying the weight of all of that. And then I remember just going to med school. And med school was hard. And it really was hard. And, and the first two years, all I did was study. I had no life. I just studied. And, and so I thought, surely if I could just become a doctor, I'd just finally feel satisfied. And guys know where the story's going. I, I barely remember the day of graduation. My family came to Milwaukee. I went to med school in Milwaukee and from Wisconsin now. And uh, I, I don't remember walking up the stage. I really don't. But I remember waking up the day after and thinking, is this it? Is this all I've been working for all these years? Like, now what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want I want to give you three points today in the remaining time on how to find the secret. I've called this the secret to total and complete satisfaction. I really believe that you can pull those three things out. There's two or three sentences that pop out in the psalm. So I'm going to just give them to you and give you these three points. And I really believe that if you get this, you will always, always feel a sort of fullness and satisfaction in your life. Listen, not that I'm promising you, but that God himself promised either he does satisfy, either the Lord is your shepherd and he does satisfy you so that you don't have any wants or he's not. And so even this morning, as you think about your walk with the Lord, are you satisfied? You might have been a Christian since you were three. Maybe you got saved last year. Maybe you're still trying to figure it out. Listen, where are you turning to be satisfied and how do you live in such a place of contentment and joy? Psalms 23 was written by David. By the way, I used to always think he wrote it when he was a little kid out in the field. You know, here he was with his like little harp. You all have these mental pictures of David, right? And he's like the neglected child. Nobody remembers where he is because everybody else is having a party and he's the chosen king, but they don't know it. So don't you, how many times have you guys not pictured yourself? Like every time you feel a bit like an outsider or a misfit, you're like, but there's David and you have hope because you're like, there's David, God sees him. And so I always pictured him as a little kid, like with a harp and a, I don't know what they wrote on, maybe a little rock on a rock and, and carving out those words. I don't know how they did it back then, but I know that uh, in reading the commentaries, he was not a kid when he wrote this. It was actually later on in his his life. So David had lived quite a life. He had won many battles. Remember that Saul was king. They said Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousand. So he was a strong army man who had a huge following. He became the king of Israel. Supposedly to this day, they say that the best king Israel has ever had. And, uh, and, and see, there's a little routine from my dance. And I just did a little, in case you missed it, that was my ground thing. And, 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 and David... And David, listen, and David uh, uh, was an old man. Listen, he'd been through good days and bad days. How many of us don't look at the life of David and think, man, if God could still love David in his old age and call him a man after our, his own heart, how much hope for us. And, uh, and so David is an old man when he writes these words. And it is a psalm of satisfaction and contentment. You say, how did David find that contentment? Three things. Number one, you will never be satisfied without a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. You will never be satisfied without a personal 
and intimate relationship with the Lord. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is probably the slowest I've ever spoken to chapel. So go ahead and get a thing out. You will never be satisfied without a personal and an intimate relationship with the Lord. And I, I want you to highlight those words, personal and intimate, because many of us have relationships with the Lord, but it was like, it's like this thing where you got saved. You asked him into your heart when you were three, five, seven, nine, ten, twenty, whatever it was, and you barely talk to him now. And you wonder why you can't feel that satisfaction of God being your shepherd. But you're so far back in the, in the herd of sheep, you can't even barely see him. David starts off the psalm, he writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, he makes me, he's talking in the third person, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Just a little note, the Christian life is not that hard. We work so hard to be good Christians. We think we got to just do so much. We got to journal, read our Bible, go to church, do the things that we need to do to be good Christians. Tell at least 10 people about Jesus in the next month or we're not good Christians. It's not that complicated and it's not that hard. You don't have to work so hard. In fact, Jesus takes you beside still waters. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to breathe. It's okay to have a conversation with God where you don't say anything. He restores my soul. Then he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Listen, for his name's sake. He does it not for your sake, but for his glory. This is awesome. This is crazy. God does it because it reflects well on him. It shows his character. We are a lot like my nephew. My nephew's 15. And this last week, my sister, she homeschools them. There's three kids, four, 13, and 15. God help her. You can say a prayer for her today. She's like mantra, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, the Lord's my shepherd. She's like, she's, it's going to work any minute now. And she's about to boot them out of the house, the 15 and the 13-year-old. And they're good kids. Every time we say something bad about them, we're always like, but they're good kids. They really do. They love Jesus, but they're teenagers. And, and so she takes them to Florida for two weeks. My mom spends the winters in Florida. I was just with them for a few days. And the 15-year-old was so bent up about it. He didn't want to go. And he let them know, and many of you who have been recently 15 or have 15-year-old siblings or 15-year-old kids for the professors, you know how that feels. And, and dude, she's taking them to stinking Florida to hang out at the beach for two weeks. And this guy is acting, my nephew, this guy is acting like he's some torture. And, and, and listen, it was so funny to watch it unfold because I go, Micah, man, what, what are you so bent about? He goes, I'm going to miss my all-star basketball game and I'm first chair in jazz band and I'm going to miss that. This is a kid who's homeschooled. He's not even like in the system. And I'm going like, dude, you've been in basketball for eight weeks. The NBA will survive without you and your all-star game. But we lose sight of who we are in Christ, don't we? So we come to God and we're like, God, I am the center of this universe. And, and, and in Psalm 23, David, by the way, who's the king of Israel, who has won more battles than you and I will ever experience in our life. He says that God does these things. He gives us, he restores our soul. He takes us beside the waters. He leads us to lie down beside green pastures. He does, he's our shepherd, he's for us, he loves us. And listen, he does it not because the world revolves around us, but because he's so good. He's a good, good shepherd. And, and that shepherd doesn't demand that we impress him with our works. We can just rest in his presence. He's done the work. We can just follow him. And, and, and don't forget that if you're carrying the world on your shoulder or maybe you feel miffed because God hasn't fulfilled the things that you want. First of all, you're young. The days are coming. God is doing a new thing. I really believe that God has more dreams for us than we have for ourselves. I believe that more with every passing day of my life. Even when our dreams and the, thing we, the things we want haven't happened yet. And yet... 
David goes on now from the third person. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He goes on to verse four and now it's personal. Remember the point that we're making here. You will never be satisfied without a personal and intimate relationship with God. And so now David switches the conversation from this third person, I'm telling you about God, to let me speak to God because he's my father, he's my shepherd. And he says, even though, and it's not, an, don't miss the point that David moves to the intimate language when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death. He goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. So he goes from, God is up there. He's good. He's leading us to, God, you're my shepherd. You're getting me through the valley of the shadow of darkness, by the way, of death. And by the way, remember who's leading the sheep. It's the shepherd. And, and though there are seasons in life where he takes us by still waters, by green pastures, where he restores our soul, that same shepherd, how did David, in his, in his psalm, he's talking about the path of life. How do you make it through the valley of the shadow of death if you're following a good shepherd? And, and don't miss it, even though I walk, listen, through the valley of the shadow of death. You're, you're not in the valley of the shadow of death to stay. You're walking through it. Some of you are walking through it now. Circle that word through. Circle the word through and remind yourself that this is just a pit stop. I don't know how many of you watch a lot of those action movies. I want to go see the one that's playing right now, Black Panther. I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the preview yesterday. And everybody's been talking about it. It's an awesome movie, and I really want to see it. But honestly, I watched the preview yesterday, and I know you guys probably loved it. But I was like, man, it's so much like fighting and, and, and so many like weapons and stuff. And I just felt like, ah, oh, I know. It's just like Star Wars. I went and saw Star Wars. My nephew was so good. I go, but no, there was like fight in the middle. I want a calm movie. But then I got to thinking about it. There's no, where do you see the glory of a king but in the depth of battle? There is no movie if there's no war in the middle to see the heroism of the hero. Do you not see that it is the valley that will allow you to develop a deep, intimate relationship with God? I've seen in my life those seasons when things are going well and there's nothing that draws me to the Savior, to my shepherd, to my father like seasons of valley. I think about my life and my ministry to singles now. One of the aspects of my ministry is to singles. And I just can walk through my life and tell you of the difficult times in my life where I felt like I was in the valley of the shadow of death. Death of relationship, death of dreams. I'm 45. I don't think even though one time Caleb said that you can have a baby at 60, I don't think that would be me. I think that's an exception, not the rule. Some of you are like, really? Yeah, I think after 45, it's hard to have a baby. Now they're having them at 50, but not me. I always like, that's not going to be me. And in and, 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 and the valley of the shadow of death. And yet it is those seasons in my life that have deepened my walk with the Lord. What are you doing during the valley of the shadow of death? Are you complaining about that season or are you leaning into him. I was looking through Instagram this morning and saw my friend, I, thought, I have a friend who's down in the Parkland area pastoring a church and, and they had a picture, Lisa Hughes and her husband, they had a picture of Levi Lusco, many of you know that name. And he was down there ministering to the students. They've had some people in their, in, their, in their church who have lost people at Parkland. And Levi Lusco, I thought it was so interesting that he was down there doing a special service. He's an amazing communicator and speaker. But you know what I thought? I thought of his story. And I don't know him personally, but I know that he lost his little girl suddenly to asthma. You don't lose little kids to asthma. Like we're living in 2018. Who doesn't have an inhaler? But this girl went through this disaster where she didn't have medications. They didn't know she was sick, however it was, and she died. I've been a doctor 20 years. I don't see kids die from asthma that often. It's very rare. 
And yet this guy, God has used the valley of the shadow of death to bring healing to so many. Listen, you will never be satisfied without a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. He's with you in the good seasons and he's with you in the valley. Are you turning to him? Are you allowing him to shape you to become who you're meant to be in those seasons? Number two, you will never be satisfied until you learn the power of God with me. God with me, God with me, God with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are, circle those words, with me. You are with me. The power of the Christian is not that we are avoiding disaster, but that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with God on our side. Joseph spent years in prison. And if you read Psalms in Genesis chapter 39, you will see that sentence repeated over and over again, that he was successful because God was with him. God was with him. If only men and women today who claim to follow Jesus live with the awareness that God is with us right here, right now. We're talking about him as if he's up there. He's not, he's here. He's in our hearts and he's here. He embodies space. He's all over and he's in our hearts too. I don't understand the mystery of how that works, but I know that if you're, if you're sitting in a test and you don't know what to do and you pray and you say, God, help me, he sees the question so he can certainly help you. Now, don't try that as a strategy for passing, but I can tell you, I can guarantee you that I wouldn't have gone through school if God wasn't with me, helping me sometimes guiding me to say the right thing when I knew better that I didn't know I hadn't prepared he somehow works it out I, I don't understand it I can tell you that when I'm in the ER and I'm looking at a family and I have no idea what to do and Google fails me because I've got these things on my phone that God gives me the wisdom because he's with me he's walking the path with me so then I don't have to be afraid and when I'm going through transitions in my life and when I'm doing those things that I think nobody understands my pain and my predicament God is with me and he's with you and if you could just get a hold of the truth that God is with you. Listen, whether you recognize him or not, he's with you. That's power for the Christian. And for, for those of you who have not received Christ into your hearts yet, that is motivation. He's like, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Listen, it is why Billy Graham, last week, if you watched any TV, you saw the story of Billy Graham. Who hasn't been moved by the story of this man who has lived 99 years with the knowledge that God was with him? That it didn't rely on how well he did, on how famous he became, on how many words he said in a sermon, on how great his illustrations was, that God was with him, doing the work through him. God is at work in you and through you. Do you understand the power of God with you? That is a source of satisfaction. Thirdly, and I'll finish, you will never be satisfied until you see your life from God's perspective. It's all about seeing clearly. He goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So he's with his enemies, not a fun place to be. How many of you have ever spent a night with an enemy? You're like, I'm not showing up to that party because my frenemy's there. And you're like, I don't want to talk to them. I'm unfriended them on Facebook. And you show up to the thing and they're there. And it could be an ex. It could be someone you went to high school with. I don't know who your person is, but, but you're like, I don't want to be with them. Well, God is like anointing David's head. This is how David, we know he had many enemies. In fact, his kids grew up to be his enemies. And... Uh, and he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's David saying here? Simply this perspective. It's about vision. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I, I had to do a physical. I, I, they want me to do some hours over at Northwest Community. Lurie's children's, they're short physicians. 
Uh, one of the advantages of being a doctor is everybody needs you. People are sick and dying and it's not going to change until heaven. I won't have a job in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But in the meantime, there's a good demand for what I do. So they wanted me to do a physical. And I thought, dude, I don't understand why. I'm healthy. And said, you got to do it anyway. So I was a little nervous. And I went to get my physical done. And, and, and at one point, she says, no, it's going to be real easy. You just have to do a vision test. I thought, well, I can see. That's silly. Okay, no problem. So I have my glasses on. I wear contacts and glasses. So I stood up. And she said to me, read the letters. And I sort of read them. And, and, and you'd be glad to know I can see the clock there. But, but it turns out that, uh, and I have two minutes to wrap things up, which is great. We're going to pray in a second so we're coming to the home here but she said to me cover one eye and I did and she says now read it and I promise you as I'm standing here I covered it and I couldn't read that thing at all and I was a little embarrassed because now this is like I'm, I'm an ER doctor like I think you should be able to see right I mean and I was like uh I would try to cheat a little you know like and 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 I couldn't see it very well I think I saw she goes try the top line I'm like e I think it's a safe guess, E. And, 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 and then I was like, E, E. So, I mean, I went through two lines, three lines. On this eye, I didn't even try. I was like, I can't see with this eye. I go, But then I was like convincing her. I go, but I promise you I can see. I mean, I drove here and I heard myself having this ridiculous conversation with her. And she goes, when was the last time you checked your eyes? And I was like, a few months ago. And, and for, I said, well, maybe my contacts, I can see better. And I didn't tell her that I wear my glasses to work because I was like, oh, Lord, help us here. <laughs> and I need a rapture to happen this minute and save me of this embarrassment. But, but listen, listen, isn't that how we live our lives? We think we see. I mean, we're looking ahead and we're like, I'm looking at my life. I see the mess. I see all that's happened. I see the hurt that people have given in my life. I see the mess that my pastors and my parents and my teachers and, and the world. I see what's happening down in Florida. I see the need for, for gun reform. And I see the need for racial unity in our country. And I see the need for leadership, the, the, the revival in the church and gone and on and on. But, but listen, we miss it. We don't really see and what David is saying is if you want to be satisfied, you stop looking at this from the perspective of a human, of an American, of a Republican or a Democrat or a white or a black. You stop looking at it from that regard and start looking at it from the eyes of the Lord. And when God sees, he sees a, a cosmic battle happening between good and evil, between God and Satan. And it started way before any of us were born. And it's not about us at all. We're just part of his story. And it has to do with a king who sent his son to die for us. And someday he's coming back and all that will happen in this earth. And yes, we fight for right and justice. And we do humble and we live humbly and we act justly and we do those things. But listen, listen, we do it with a better perspective, with a greater vision in our mind of someone who is greater than us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why do you want to become an architect or a teacher or a missionary? Why are you playing music and dancing in the worship band? What is it that you're chasing for satisfaction? Do you see in your life a deepening, intimate walk with the Lord? Do you understand the power of God with me? And do you see life from his perspective? Are you so blinded by your own self and your own need that you just can't even talk to him these days? I'm going to ask you to stand up as I close us in prayer. David Brainerd was 29 when he died. It was in 1747. It didn't look like his life amounted to much. He was never married. The girl he was supposed to marry, he never married her because he died too early. He had tuberculosis. Could God have healed him? He could have, but he didn't. He had not written a book when he died. He had, he had been kicked out of college. That Any of you who are struggling in school, that will come as, a, as an encouragement to you. He was kicked out of Yale, and he ended up going to minister to some Indians over in the Delaware area. And after he died, his life looked like it was a waste, except that he happened to die in the house of Jonathan Edwards, who found his journal. 
And in his journal was a man who believed the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jonathan Edwards would go on and publish the journal of David Brainerd that would impact many, many famous names in Christianity like William Carey, the father of modern mission, and Henry Martin who gave up an Ivy League education to go to the mission field and died alone, also single from TB in a land outside of the United States. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot who ended up giving, of course, he gave his life for the gospel. He was killed for the sake of Christ. Elizabeth Elliot who lived a full Christian life for the sake of Jesus. Men and women who to this day claim the name of the Lord. Look, your life might not look like much today. It might never look like much. You might be a professor who's been teaching here for decades and think, what? am I doing here? Listen to me. God is your shepherd. You shall not want. Can you say that freely today? God, we humble ourselves to you and thank you that you are a good, good shepherd. Help us to see clearly. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us vision. Father, use us to change this world for the sake of you, King Jesus. We worship you and thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast from Judson University in Elgin, Illinois. Please subscribe to stay updated on our chapel ministry. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at chapel at judsonu.edu. Judson University, shaping lives that shape the world.